trigger warning. On this episode of Her Hacks podcast, we will be touching on topics such as stalking, police violence, and domestic violence. If you or someone you know is a victim of domestic violence, please call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. You're listening to Her Hacks Podcast, a podcast by women in cybersecurity for everyone. I'm Christine, and I'm here today to talk to you about privacy and safety in the age of Bluetooth trackers. So many of you have probably heard about tiles and air tags and the growing concerns with stalking surrounding them. These devices are only slightly larger than a quarter and can help you find your lost keys, wallet, even pets. But how do they actually work? As an Apple security expert, I've actually used AirTags a lot and even helped to write academic papers on the security and privacy of AirTags and Apple's Find My framework. So let me break it down for you a little. AirTags and Tiles are small Bluetooth-based devices that use crowdsourced geolocationing to determine your location. This means that other people nearby to you or nearby to your AirTag have devices that are automatically reporting the location of your AirTag or your Tile to some central server. This can help you to find lost items, which is pretty cool, right? Except there have been some issues with bad actors using these for more nefarious purposes, like stalking or stealing people's personal property like their cars. This is a really important issue, so today we have an expert with us in online security and privacy. Alexis Hancock, the Director of Engineering and Encryption Projects at the Electronic Frontier Foundation, also known as the EFF. The EFF is the leading nonprofit organization defending civil liberties in the digital world. Alexis works to keep networks strong and encrypted by managing the CertBot project. She researches an intersection of issues on digital rights, encryption, and consumer technology. She believes in an open and equitable web through encouraging local tech literacy, educating other engineers, and advocating for better and stronger tech policy. Welcome, Alexis. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I've been wanting to bring you on the podcast ever since we met at Recon. <laughs> so I wanted to ask because today we're talking about Bluetooth, privacy, and air tags. And I thought it would be a fun little icebreaker to ask Do you use air tags, tiles, or any type of Bluetooth trackers in your day to day life? I actually don't. I have recently contemplated it because I have a very energetic child and have thought about it for a little while from time to time when we're out, especially when I recently took her to a um, some sort of pop-up attraction for children in the area. And it was huge. It was like this huge bounce house. And I almost lost her like five times and I just look because I kept losing sight of her and she's four so I'm like oh my god so I was like man an air tag would be really nice right now to put on her and so for things like items and keys and things if pre-pandemic I may have been more inclined to get it especially with travel but since I've been mostly a homebody the past few years I kind of like yeah 
if I lose something, I'll find it normally because it's within my apartment in its vicinity. But in other cases, maybe like during travel, I would consider, but I actually don't use any right now. Oh, wow. Okay. So I highly advocate for people to use AirTags in their lost luggage. I feel like that is an amazing use case because um, if it does get lost, you can see where it ended up. But even, you know how after you get off a plane, you're kind of standing there waiting for your luggage and you have no idea at what point it's going to start coming on that little circle? Exactly. I'm super impatient. So I'll be like on my phone looking to see where the air tag is because um it will start coming closer and closer to us. And so there's two components to it. There's the Bluetooth component, which is like less precise, and then there's the ultra wideband chip inside the air tag that can be used for precision finding. And so I use the precision finding to figure out when my bag was like coming closer to me. And that was like pretty fun. (laughs) Yeah. So that was pretty, pretty cool. And I'm like chronically disorganized. So I use air tags all the time. I have an air tag on my purse. I have one in my wallet in case my wallet comes out of my purse, a separate one for my keys. I have one on my dog's collar. I feel like it's not as accurate for my dog like if somebody takes my dog for a walk usually like my dad will and I guess none of his neighbors have iPhones and he doesn't have an iPhone so I won't really be able to see where she where she is but I'm like oh are they on their way back so that's one time where I'm like oh I guess air tags aren't as good and I need to get the Garmin GPS or something for my dog but overall another feature I really like is um there's a pop-up that says when you leave something at home. So if I walk out of my house without my purse or without my keys, it'll say Christine's keys are left behind or Christine's backpack's left behind or something. So for forgetful people like me who kind of misplace things, it's super, super useful. That's dope. Yeah, I actually didn't know it did that um secondary alert for when you leave something behind so that's that actually makes a lot of sense and so as convenient and helpful to my life as these trackers are there have been a lot of concerns about air tags and other types of bluetooth trackers despite being a major convenience it's definitely opened us up to all kinds of issues and so the EFF specifically has always been a champion over the past, you know, 30 years, uh, protecting end users from all kinds of digital surveillance. And ever since AirTags were released in 2021, they've been particularly vocal about the dangers associated with AirTags and other Bluetooth trackers and the um, issues that they bring having these convenient trackers that could potentially cause harm to people on a day-to-day. So can you talk about some of the concerns that EFF has brought up related to the misuse and abuse of trackers such as AirTags? So one of the defining moments for this type of danger was, in fact, when Apple had announced AirTags in tandem with their Find My Network. So stalkerware has always existed, right? Trackers already existed. But this announcement made stalking more accessible 
and made them made it cheap. Like I think these air tags run like what, 29, 30 bucks. Yeah. If you get a four pack, it's only $25 per air tag. So it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. You know, you can bundle it up. Right. So they, they made it relatively cheap because in order to track someone in more a traditional sense prior to this, you had to go through some hoops and this kind of took away a lot of those hoops in, in, in some respect. So that Find My Network turned billions of iPhones into a tracking network, essentially, with the Find My. And it made, like I said, tracking very cheap. So when we initially had brought it up, it was kind of like hand-waving towards like, well, we don't anticipate this as being like that big of an issue or problem. And clearly they didn't because they rolled it out without the needed conversations and mitigations in place for anti-stalking. And then surprise, 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 stalking happened. People had their, you know, cars potentially air tagged. Um, domestic abuse abuse situations occurred thanks to this, and and you know, kind of just amplified the technology available for abuse in this sense. So we called that out initially, and we had called on Apple to do something about it. So Apple made something called Tracker Detect for the Android ecosystem because you know you get the alerts on the the, the iPhone side. If you have one, it's like, hey, there's an air tag moving with you. That's great for iPhone users. That was the first step. But the Android users had no way of knowing. So Apple had created this tracker detect app. You know, you had to go in, you had to manually scan. Yeah, I think it was like shortly after there was all of the reports of people freaking out. I remember there was a girl who was at Disney World with her parents and she was maybe only you know, 14 or 15 mm-hmm. and somebody had tried to slip an air tag into her bag and then they found it. And there's so many alarming scenarios that were being reported heavily in the news. Absolutely. And, you know, so when these instances occur, obviously they had to move. So Apple made this, you know, honestly subpar app for, for Android because you have to manually scan with the Android app that they had provided. I think it was just called Tracker Detect. Yeah, and you had to wait 10 minutes yes. to even be able to scan. So imagine like finding an AirTag, feeling alarm and freaking out and having to wait 10 minutes before you can even press the scan button. Exactly. I, for one, you know, I actually have a story about that concerning me earlier this year. Uh, so I'm very familiar with the un- unfortunate barriers that it took to actually find the AirTag on you in the first place. So... With that said, they had that going. There was another group of researchers in Germany that um, also created a pretty, you know, pretty good app, I would say, for the Android ecosystem because it enabled background tracking. So you didn't have to manually scan. So they would have that in place for not just AirTags, but other Bluetooth devices as well. So, you know, not the perfect solution, but the best solution at that time. So that was some of the issues and concerns that we had brought up. And we had called on not only Apple, but Google to incorporate this on the operating system level of the phone. Could you please enable some sort of safety mechanism for that? We were very vocal about those aspects in the beginning because a lot of people were doing like hand wringing around. Well, StalkAware exists in all forms and you can just put a GPS tracker on the car. And GPS actually putting a GPS tracker on the car is a whole different scenario. And there's actually barriers in place because um, Eva Galperin, the one who was spearheading a lot of this at my job. She's the director of cybersecurity and she was the one initially on this and still is on it with me. Uh, I only became involved because once again, uh, 
something that occurred earlier this year that gave me a, a solid investment in, in making sure that this happens as well. So I decided to partner up with her as she was going about her advocacy and research as well, because she's a part of the anti-stalkware coalition. So she was on this since jump. And she had brought up the fact that there's actually subscriptions and stuff in place that you actually have to go and to the GPS tracker device and like manually download the GPS coordinates. So you actually have to like interact with that tracker that you put on someone's car. It's not as easy as people say it is as an alternative to AirTags. AirTags tiles made things very expansive. And even between tiles and AirTags, tiles had some adoption. There's thousands of users, I believe. And there's definitely a lot of units of tiles out there. And you had to have an app and all that. But there was still the distinct difference of between having to tap into tile, buy a tile versus just buying an AirTag and just have it immediately linked to billions of other phones for a tracker network. So you didn't have to download an app to do that. So once again, pointing out those barriers that that got knocked down when it was implemented to make these types of abuses easier. So do you feel comfortable sharing your situation that kind of inspired you to uh, look into AirTags and stalkerware further? Yeah, absolutely. Most of my security research is something from a personal standpoint. Uh, I have done research in different aspects, usually pertaining to my child. But in this case, it actually happened to me where I had I was shopping nearby my apartment. And I had came out of this department store that I was shopping in. And I want to say like two or three men around my car. And I thought maybe, you know, they were at the car next to it or something. Because it was like open. The doors were open in their car and it was running. I'm like, I'm not really sure. But they were definitely looking at my car. And I was like, hmm, what's happening here? (laughs) You know, like I'm from New York and, you know, we have a certain spidey sense that goes off in like all scenarios so i'm just like yeah i'm not really trying to walk over to my car right now let me hang back so i actually hid behind a column and beat my horn three times next you know i hear like tires skid i'm like what (laughs) you know i'm I'm hearing people like take off you know and i'm like what is happening um and you know that was like my ultimate red flag because i was like why did they take off as soon as they heard the beeps because they didn't see me they, they just heard the beeps. So I had yeah. decided to wait a second until they, they finally like sped off, went around the corner, waited a few you know minutes. And then I went to my car and I sat in it and I was about to like, I was looking at it. I was looking at the outside, walking around like, yo, what's, what's, what's going on? Walk, sat in my, in the driver's seat and I'm just sitting there at my steering wheel. I'm like, well, no attempts to break windows. No attempts to steal the catalytic converter, which is a common property crime around here in the Bay Area. Uh, no attempts to do that, it seems. No attempts, no jacks that's been left behind. No mission equipment. I'm just looking at all the things, you know, like it didn't seem like they had broken any windows. Like, what's going on? And I'm like, hmm. And then I'm thinking about like air tags at this point. I'm like, <sighs> so I pull out the tracker detect app and I scan, but it was like, oh, you have to wait 10 minutes. Um, and I was like, I'm not really trying to stay in my car for 10 minutes if it was like trying to get popped. <laughs> so I actually went back in the department store. Right. And I stood, well, not back inside, but I went like back by, back by the store, like behind like another column and just kind of like waited the 10 minutes, you know? I was like, okay. And then I went back and then like, I believe the sequence was I hit the scan and it picked up and it said, you know, a tracker found, air attack found. And I was like, come on. So I'm looking around, I'm looking at the, the, like, the underbridge of my car, the, um, I forget what you call it, the, the, 
the jam or whatever, like the door. And I'm just like, where is, you know, what am I looking at? And then it allowed me to play a sound. So I'm like, okay, it let me, letting me play the sound. So I hear like a little three burst chime and it was under the car. It was uh, like left or dropped. It wasn't put on the car under it in the compartment, just dropped on the, on the ground. And I see it and I hear it. And I'm like, oh, you wow. know, I can't curse, but I had some words when I found it. And then I sat in my car and then I did like the whole NFC scan because you can NFC scan an air tag and it'll take you to a website actually where it displays the serial number for that air tag and um, obfuscated, I believe, email. So it was like, yeah, I don't know, J at iCloud.com. And at that point, I'm like, do I feel like going to the police about it? Do I do I feel like doing that? And at the time, I did not. I probably should have. Cause I, but I also don't have a lot of evidence otherwise that they did try to do this. For all I know, you could go to court and be like, well, it was just dropped on the ground. Right. Um, and so I decided at the time to just not. So I disabled it. I like physically disabled the tracker, like took it apart and I, like smashed it. That is my story. And that's why um, I became very interested in this. And so threw it in a trash can, you know, went home. And then I was like, oh, this is not good. So <laughs> end up talking to some of my colleagues. And then coincidentally, my um, my boss at the time was reached out to by the Android team, the Android safety team, to discuss a future feature that involved Bluetooth trackers. And I'm like, I would like in on this discussion. <laughs> So, and, and like Eva would have been on discussion too, but um, at the time she was on her much needed sabbatical, but brought her up to speed and she's been heavily involved since with the IETF stuff, the internet engineering task force. So, Right. Well, that's, it's really good that there are manufacturers that are kind of looking to get ahead of the curve and really think about some of these features before just going ahead and implementing them because it is so scary when these things happen. And I think even if you had gone to the police, they would kind of be like, well, no crime was actually committed, so we're not going to do anything. So it's unfortunate, um, especially for women, because we can so often be victims of stalking like it, it's really scary that it has become so easy now um, and I think one of the worst parts about it is that there is no authentication happening with the find my framework so anybody can register a rogue endpoint that can act as an air tag and basically leverage the find my framework and all of the iPhones out there as this like crowdsourced uh, location tracking thing. And Apple originally implemented it that way because they were like, well, we don't want your location information. We want this to be a totally anonymous private thing. Uh, but then the flip side of that is that because it's totally anonymous and private, it makes it really easy to be misused by bad actors. Exactly. And also want to point out the fact that, you know, even outside of the, the technology aspects of stalking and what people have used air tags for, so historically stalking victims get the short end of the stick legally. And unfortunately that problem carries over into situations like this. Victims of abuse are getting the short end of the stick quite often, like just recently, actually, EFF um, helped promote legislation in DC that 
thankfully got passed where you could like decouple your number from a family plan uh with that maybe most likely led by your abuser you know i forgot the exact terminology of the bill india is not gonna <laughs> like that in fact i forgot the name of it but um yeah by my colleagues india and everyone else who are you know very dc fluent were much like on this bill because you know it's one of the things easy things you would think that could happen for someone but it wasn't happening and it wasn't easy to do if you were uh, a victim of abuse and you couldn't decouple your phone plan and your communications uh ties to the world links to your family away from your abuser links to your friends away from your abuser simple as carrying and porting your number back to you so the fact that that was passed you know like um it just it keeps highlighting just all the barriers it takes to actually get i would say some sort of justice around being abused and being stalked yeah i think that's one of the the dangers too like just in general with new technology that is created a lot of people create it because it's some new exciting shiny thing without thinking through the implications of it and then you know, these random policies get created on the business side, such as with cellular carriers, probably, you know, holding all of these numbers on a family plan. And they're not thinking about the use case of, well, families don't always want to be forever tied to each other. And even like some phone plans used to allow the the main uh, person on the account to read text messages and things like that. So there was a lot of things that I think carriers implemented that's supposed to be useful for the person who's in charge of the account, but it's just crazy privacy implications. Exactly, exactly. A, a lot of the assumptions around you're safe at home when a technology is implemented, when you know certain aspects are are rolled out without a lot of thought. And unfortunately, in, in many cases, because it's usually just men in the room making these decisions and not really thinking about the fact that, you know, there's an entire aspect of gendered violence that occurs. So, you know, not really thinking about people who are abused. And that's why these conversations need to happen. That's why these conversations need to happen earlier and things shouldn't be dismissed along the way just to make a convenience for people and, and make a profit. And that's the unfortunate reality in, in many cases where a lot of these conversations are late, very late in the game. Yeah, I think just the difference between men and women and the way that we approach things it needs to be understood. Like, as an example, I was um, in Jersey City with my boyfriend and we were, you know, staying there to go to a concert. And so we were looking for our Airbnb and I think we looked lost. And so a man approached us asking if we needed help. And he seemed friendly enough. But as a woman, like, I never let anyone give me directions because I'm like, I don't want you to know where I'm going. I don't want you to know where I'm staying. I don't I so I'm like default not friendly. So this guy's like, oh, do you guys need help? And my boyfriend was opens his mouth and he's like yeah actually and I think he was about to say like the address we were looking for and even though I had no idea where we were going I just said nope we're fine and I like pulled my boyfriend away because <laughs> I was like I don't want to tell this person where we're where we're going and it literally was like a walk away we ended up finding it and I'm sure this person was just trying to be helpful but like 
my boyfriend was, you know, default, oh, this person's being friendly and helpful. And my default is, I don't want them to know what my destination is. Exactly. I, there's so much of that. And you have discussions even with people, even with men who, you know, mean well, but there is a lack of understanding that you just don't move through society the same as someone else. And you have to understand that you may never really understand, but you have to need to take the opportunity to actually listen when someone is saying, this scenario usually goes either way for me, whereas this scenario usually goes one way for you. And you right. can't shape a threat model based off what, how many dangers you feel that you're experiencing. You have no idea what the threat model of someone who is victimized and abused is half the time. And in a lot of cases, people get re-victimized because they were in these abusive situations and authoritarian, you know, sorry, not that's the wrong term, authorities and such that are in power over, you know, to try to mitigate harm will actually perpetuate the harm as well. So, you know, it's another reason why I don't really mm -hmm. trust cops in a lot of situations. Many other people trust yeah. cops because they move through life a little differently. But I'm a black woman and I've experienced either way with police. It was either somewhat friendly interaction, maybe amicable at the very minimum. And at maximum, I've been completely brutalized and victimized by the police. So, and I know people who have been in my life as well. So a lot of people were like, well, the police's job is hard and everything. I said, yeah, but I can't bank off of whether or not a police officer is having a good day or not, or if they're a good person or not. I have to interact with police as if they're hostile towards me and will be hostile towards me. Cause I've seen police officers go from zero to a hundred over nothing. Mm -hmm. And right. I, a lot of people don't know what it's like to experience that because like, there's no, well, you've had to done something to trigger their anger or trigger their emotions. So, and I'm like, no, they literally went from zero to a hundred. Cause I asked a question. And it wasn't even right. like a question of their authority. It was literally me being confused. <laughs> so it's, it's, that's what happens. That's what occurs. Right. Well, and for you, the stakes are so high. The stakes could literally be deadly because you don't know, you don't know how they're going to react. And unfortunately they're going to be armed with a taser or a gun. And there's a lot of people who do not have the proper training and are not seeking to deescalate what doesn't even need to be an issue. Exactly. So a lot of people just need to understand, like you don't move through life the same way as other people. Audrey Lord said, we do not lead single issue lives because we are not single issue people. So there's a lot of things and layers that people deal with on a day-to-day -day basis and that you have to think of when you're dealing with new technologies. I did want to talk about the... International Engineering Task Force or IETF meeting that you recently attended because it seems like big tech and industry is trying to address some of these issues and create standards so that companies can't, you know, DIY these trackers and introduce all of these crazy stocking issues. Um, so could you talk about some of the goals of the meeting and maybe some of the main points that you found interesting and that were brought up. Yes, absolutely. So Apple and Google came together earlier this year to announce that they wanted to do um, a framework of detection, detection of unwanted location trackers. That's the official name of the specification draft that they had put up in the IETF. 
And, you know, we, you know, did a good, nice little golf clap on it because of the fact that this is a conversation, honestly, that should have happened before the air attacks got deployed, but should have, could have, would have. We're here now. Let's do this. So they ended up having a convening, um, they being IETF. And for those not familiar with the IETF, they pretty much dictate a lot of the, the protocols and such of how like the internet that we use today and wireless communications we use today and um, you know, and other types of technologies as well on premise. So what we usually do is there'll be working groups and committees that convene and talk about various aspects of these, you know, technologies. So one of the, well, I don't want to say it's a committee because it's very technical semantic things happening here with the IETF as well. They don't want to be called certain things if it's not at a certain point. Right. So this was a working group (laughs) um, and it was a birds of a feather event. And that meant that people who were wanted to make public commentary on this, people being, you know, privacy experts from, you know, say EFF or people who were directly involved in the creation, such as, you know, um, industry like Tile, they were there actually. Uh, Apple was in attendance as well. And I do believe there was somebody from Google. Um, it wouldn't have made sense if they weren't. I believe I believe someone from from Google was representative, but there was definitely community members as, at, at large as well who were making comments on the specifications mailing list that they had put out some months ago and said, "Please leave comments." And so that has been occurring and happening. I believe also, you know, you made a comment as well. It's a very open list for pretty much industry to come in of any concerns around the specification. So. That occurred first. And then this birds of a feather meeting happened to kind of convene people to come publicly um, and sorry, in person or remotely. I attended remotely. My colleague, Eva Galperin, attended in person. It was in San Francisco this year. So they did this convening and this meeting sort of wanted to put forth people's concerns, um, what type of scope that we wanted to actually lead with when it came to this specification and a lot of people were concerned about use cases. So a lot of people brought up use cases in different scenarios. Um, obviously, we were bringing up privacy protecting scenarios in, in issues around air tags. And others also wanted to talk about, well, you know, I don't want my mother with dementia to be able to disable this tracker. And that's a whole different other um context that we had to like deal with during the the conversation of what because parents also do this they have this concern where you know I want to be able to track my child where they are at all times so I'm going to implement like say this technology that or download this application that looks a lot like stalkerware and so I also have to like get people to have a Mm -hmm. conversation with the parties they want to keep safe. And that was something that I was trying to emphasize, but I can get into that a little bit later um, with some of the principles that we brought forth um, as an org into the conversation, but I want to just focus on what the goals were. So they wanted to address that. They want to address use cases, scope of the meeting and their approach of as the specification stands right now, because some things were listed in the specification, such as, you know, rotation of Mac addresses, uh, other things were addressed in the specifications, such as, you know, law enforcement ac- access to a pairing registry with the, the tracker. And I want to make it very clear that this is about how to be a well-behaved tracker. And that's really all it really addresses. It doesn't necessarily how to uh, create everything that is needed to be a part of these find my networks 
such as, you know, secure communication and such. It doesn't really get into that at the moment. Hopefully it does, but at the moment it does not. And that's like the proprietary piece that they leave there that's more vague because I believe Apple and Google go about um, secure communications with their their devices, their peripheral devices in different ways. So there'll be other things with the specifications such as like um, um, when it should send out uh, its signals in separated mode versus you know, nearby. And it'll, it went down the list of, you know, what could be considered a well-behaved tracker to be detected by, you know, say Android's uh, background detection that they plan on rolling out or uh, Apple's, you know, find my network and alerts for air tags. So that was the goals of the meeting. People did had different opinions <laughs> and yeah. Uh, I want to say that at least at the very, at the very least, there was a strong interest to keep the conversation going. And I'm glad that the conversation was had. I'm glad that people were very um, upfront and forward about what exactly they were looking out of for the specification. And so now there'll be a, out of result, there'll be a chartered working group coming out soon if it's not out already, but I don't think it's, it's chartered just yet, but it will be soon. And once the charter actually, I think it's, posted and, 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 and um, finalized and we can act as a working group within the IETF, which has its own semantics and parameters, but it will just be a continuance of probably the conversations and concerns that happened in that room. Oh, wow. I would love to get involved in that. That sounds really interesting. Um, if Do you know, can anybody join the working group or do you have to be like a member of something? I don't, or? So I don't want to say anything wrong uh, because um, this is me officially interacting with the IETF for the first time in my own way. Honestly, I've been tracking different conversations. Yeah. A lot of their conversations are public, like the meeting notes to the Birds of a Feather, Feather meeting is actually a public transcript of that. So a lot of their stuff is very public because yeah. this is stuff that dictates how we use um, a lot of communications today. So a lot of the conversations are public. Now, I do not think the working group will be limited to IETF members only. I do, I do not think that is the case considering industry needs to be involved. Um, so they have a default seat in the room, but I do think they want to keep privacy concerns um, to the forefront because the whole point of why this is getting created in the first place. This is a different context for um, this working group than other protocols say like the quick working group for http3 that's a different you know uh type of context happening there because it's not with the background urgency of this should have happened three years ago um th that that is not uh the same context here so i believe this is a little bit more open if i'm not mistaken and i do know they're still taking in comments on the mailing list uh, i just put in our comments with um a recent blog post that kind of summarized the ietf meeting and our concerns and trying to push forward some some principles as we go forward into the conversation. And so once the working group gets chartered, I'll know more details of like how exactly does that work? When do meetings actually occur? And how they'll actually go about their process of changing the specification based off feedback. That part I'm still kind of, you know, learning myself um, as a technologist who's recently interacting yeah. with such a, a broad standards body. That's awesome. Um, so I did look through some of the notes because I wanted to see what they talked about. And I definitely feel like there's a little bit of a privacy paradox that we seem to always deal with when it comes to security. Because on one hand, we do want protection from 
bad actors from, you know, stalking and malware and all of these things. But whenever you're trying to get protection, you're also forced to give up a little bit of privacy. Like if you want your router to protect you from malicious domains, that technically means that your router is looking at every domain that you go to and do you want your router to see every website that you try to navigate to, things like that. Um, So I was reading through the notes and like you mentioned, you know, people were saying that there are good use cases for trackers. Like if you want to track your children or track um, elderly family members and um, there's even an idea that maybe it's a theft deterrent. Like if you have an air tag on your bike, maybe someone wouldn't steal it and um, Tile even has like an anti-theft mode so that the thief wouldn't be able to detect the tracker um but that's where we kind of get into the importance i think eva said you know privacy and protection of people over property is it more important that your bike doesn't get stolen because the thief doesn't know that there's an air tag or a tile on it and they can't scan to see that there's an air tag or a tile versus this anti-theft mode suddenly means that I can't detect any tiles or air tags in my own presence and somebody can use that to stalk me. Yeah, so definitely that was one of the main principles we wanted to bring in when we define use case scenarios. So privacy and protection of people over property was something that we really wanted to emphasize. And we may get disagreement there on, you know, whether or not that that should be a principle, but that is something that we truly believe in here. Because even in, say, you know, you think an air attack could be a deterrent. That's an assumption of motivation. Catalytic converter theft is very loud. Very, very loud, actually. Mm-hmm. When someone's stealing your cattle converter, they're usually using power machinery. And so um, I believe one of my um, colleagues had actually had that happen to her, where very loudly so, she heard someone stealing her catalytic converter. You can usually hear it outside of, outside of her house. And so she had to make the decision of whether to you know, go outside and see. But usually in that case, the thief is already motivated to take your stuff in that instance, in that scenario. Assuming that th- thieves will will walk away if whether or not they see an air tag or not, I do not know that for sure. Um, especially considering that property crime itself, you never really know the desperation or motivation of people who are um, engaging in property crime. They have already made the decision that they will steal something. Now, whether or not that they stop because they right. see an air tag, I do not know that's the case, and I do want don't really want to go for creating use cases where we're assuming motivations of thieves. Um, a lot of the um, AirTag was very careful. Apple was very careful to not say that they were anti-theft uh, or had an anti-theft framework or in place. Tile said that in particular, you know, and that's questionable in a way. Uh, but, you know, I, I believe Apple was very careful to make sure that they were doing this because if physical trackers are going to have effective anti-stalking mitigations, then manufacturers actually have to give up on the anti-theft um, perfect use case and or on unknowingly tracking the thief and sneaking up on them. Like a lot of people will say, I want to know if the thief is, I don't want the thief to know that there's an air tag or, you know, that's, you know, viable and and that's valid in some cases. But, and and then in the scenario of, okay, say, you know where the thief is, are you personally going to go 
and engage with this thief or I don't like what what expansive use case are you engaging in here are you going to call the cops and say well the thief is right here I don't I do not know and, and then you have to say and assume that the cops will act if they if you do know the exact location of the thief there's a lot of assumptions on how well the the legal system will work for you <laughs> beyond um beyond this and so there's a lot of assumptions there that we don't really want to necessarily define but we can you know think about the privacy of the person with the air tag if we put people first such as rotating mac addresses we can put the privacy and protection of people over people that essentially um would be stalked or abused using this technology we can define use cases there I can't, I don't have the perfect solution for people with children and seniors. And so there was one man saying, you know, in the group and that his, you know, his mother had dementia, like I said, and he didn't necessarily want her to, to disable this, but I'm like, even in those cases, and even with vulnerable people, you still have to have a conversation, even if they will forget it. You still have to engage this person like a human being. You still have to engage your children. I know novel (laughs) ideal as a human being, (laughs) right? Still have to have a conversation. All of these scenarios, I mean, it's frustrating because it's really easy for things to be abused. And as much as you're like, oh, I want to be able to protect my family, there could be somebody else out there that has less noble intentions. And so we can't enable this surreptitious tracking just because somebody doesn't want to have the conversation because like it needs to be anybody over 18, like it is their choice and anybody younger than 18 like it's they still kind of need to have that autonomy as children to be able to say yes I want it I want my mom or dad to be able to find me or to know where I am it I agree with you it's a conversation that needs to be had it can't be a violation of privacy where you know you're kind of spying on your kids or spying on your elderly parents or something like that yeah and there was even suggestions in in that same conversation that people had because surprise 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 you don't have to just use air tags to track these particular individuals that you say you want to make safe because like one there's also another assumption mm-hmm. that guardians and people who have a you know power over someone in terms of like legality if they have dementia or something like that uh it's an assumption that they have the best interest in mind of these people so that's why i also am like well you know as someone who was raised in certain situations where adults weren't necessarily making the best choices i i don't want that for children to to take away that option of like some sort of autonomy there right, right. and so there's actually like someone had brought up like a watch was that like they put a they they had a, a elderly family member where they actually used a watch um for them um, uh, in, in other cases, because you don't necessarily have to use as trackers. And so when we're also talking about like, you know, there's a scope here that we're trying to define for a well-behaved tracker. And yes, it is unfortunate that people are going through these other scenarios, but actually air tags and tiles aren't the only way for you to keep your family members safe. Right. Um, and so there are other ways. And, and there's actually a lot of children um, that I believe that my colleague Eva in a certain survey were like, hey, like we're act- like that, that came to them as an anecdote saying, we actually don't mind when we have a conversation with our parents, like GPS tracking, for instance, because that doesn't necessarily involve a tracker, but their phone inherently can track. So when you have that going, well, you can definitely still put people first in these conversations even the ones that you want to make safe. Because once you start stepping out of that framework of, I don't want to have a conversation with this person. I just want to keep them safe. You start to actually drift over into the mindset of a stalker. 
Right. Because, you know, you're, you're, you're removing the, the autonomy and consent in the situation, claiming to love someone. Right. And that can get dangerous, you know, despite your best intentions. There's people out there that don't have the best intentions when they're establishing this. So we don't want to create a technology and have a technology out there that enables this framework of taking away autonomy and consent. So that's why we were so adamant about privacy and protection over people, over property. Because, yes, it is unfortunate when your purse gets stolen. It is unfortunate. But right. um, it's even more unfortunate when the same technology is enabling someone's life. And we, we would rather go in that direction first. Right. And when you think about it, it's like how much is a life worth like versus your purse? or your phone, like a life is worth so much more. And you had, you had mentioned that, you know, you can't even guarantee that law enforcement would help. And I mean, there was two scenarios that I've had where law enforcement has literally been given a, a dot on a map pointing to when my phone got stolen, it, it gave them an address of a hotel and they said they couldn't help because they didn't know the room number that my phone was in that had been stolen. So I was, you know, SOL. And then, uh, when I was in college, my roommate was on the crew team. And so they would put their backpacks in the van outside of their boathouse while they went to go rowing. And she said that um, she went to a school outside of Philadelphia and somebody had robbed the boathouse and robbed the van and stolen everybody's computers and stuff and phones because they don't, they don't bring those out on the boat. And uh, somebody had a MacBook. And so it was like early days of find my, but there was a pin on the map saying that the laptop was like here in somewhere in Philadelphia. And the police were like, that is a known gang area and we will not go in there to get your stuff because that is a known gang area and it's not worth it, like the risk for us. So they just said, sorry, not sorry. We're not getting your stuff back. Like I said, there's a lot of assumptions at play when it comes to what police functionally can do in a lot of situations people think that you know police come in and they'll immediately amend the crime like actually this happens in the court of law and charges need to be viable enough an arrest needs to be viable enough to actually occur and happen and then you'll actually go through a legal due process situation because unfortunately and i'm saying that very sarcastically um police can't just (laughs) just just enact the law right then and there that's not what their right. legally functioning um, placement is to do which is why there's so many marches when extrajudicial killings right. happen because you're actually not right. supposed to have punishment happen right then and there do you want your stuff retrieved in a more um de-escalated situation sure and do you expect police to go get your stuff when you know the situation is happening but they also have risk assessments of themselves as police of whether or not it is actually worth getting somebody's purse in a certain area where they feel like that they are in danger and then that's when you're like okay well this sucks and so there's a lot of like a lot of people um don't understand what due process means they don't understand what actually occurs when you report a crime And I think a lot of people get disappointed when they realize things don't really play out in those scenarios the way that they wish they did in their head because they want immediate justice. They want their stuff back, which is very, very understandable. But as we see with property crime, that is not always the case. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a scope in a user case situation with physical trackers, um, Bluetooth detecting Bluetooth trackers that, you know, 
I do not feel is fair to define as a use case or make it the the exact priority here is to making sure that thieves don't know that there's an air tag nearby. Um, I do not believe that is an appropriate use case because then it gets, you know, the scope gets blown on what you actually think occurs after that. And then, you know. Right. It's important. Due process is a, is a right that we have and something that needs to be taken seriously. Exactly. And then even with people who have air track tags, you know, we, we definitely address like, you know, the whole rotation um, of identifiers as well and making sure that there's su- sufficient defense against uh, like a sophisticated tracking network, say like a scenario like DEF CON, there's like 30,000 people um, to, for those not familiar with DEF CON, you know, the hacker conference that happens in Vegas every year. You recently went, I believe. Um, I avoided it this year. Yeah. Um, and uh, maybe I'll go next year. We'll see. I don't know. Um, 30,000 30, people. <laughs> it's a lot for me. <laughs> yeah. And so I usually avoid it. Is a, it is a lot. I went to Recon this year because it's such a smaller conference. <laughs> it's like 300 people tops. And, but DEF CON, mm. it's like, man, it's a lot of people. I, even those scenarios, like we saw what was happening with someone's like Apple research and stuff, people were getting pings about, you know, some sort of like prompt for like some sort of like Apple password or something like that. And I just, you know, like you'll have that at play. And so you want to be able to have privacy as a person with one of these devices as well to make sure there's not someone like tracking all the devices in the area and then like linking that to somewhere else. Like you, you don't want that happening as well. So that's why, like I said, privacy and protection over people with property, I, help, I think it helps define scope very well in a lot of these use cases. So to wrap up, does the EFF have any tips for avoiding stalking with these Bluetooth trackers that are currently out there in the wild that we have to deal with? Well, I do know, I'm not sure, they're supposed to roll it out very soon. I keep hearing very soon, but they didn't give me a date. Um, Android will have, thankfully, thanks to a lot of our advocacy and others, OS level background detection, um, system level background detection, and within the Android device for specifically first, I believe, AirTags. Uh, They don't have it for all trackers, but for AirTags, they will have background detection in the safety features of your phone. Thankfully, Um, that was something that they were talking about with us earlier this year, and I'm glad that they announced it during Google I.O. when we were there about that. It it got lost in all the announcements of of Gen AI products, but that was one of the safety feature announcements that we were very happy to see and considered it a victory, thankfully, for people out there who could potentially be stalked and tracked. And so, you know, hopefully it's an effective technology and we hope to see them incorporate more trackers uh, in this background detection very quickly um, rather than, you know, later or next year. Uh, hopefully they, they incorporate other trackers like Tile and uh, as well as, you know, if you have iPhone you know, make sure you enable the, the the settings and protections around like air tags and your find my network settings and such. And, you know, I don't personally have an iPhone, so I don't know all the naming terminology for the settings in the background for air tags. Uh, I have Android, but as far as if you want something right now and you, you don't see the OS level protection in Android, AirGuard is a good alternative for the moment um, as a gap. Uh, AirGuard yeah. was the app that I mentioned earlier that kind of detects various trackers. I can't speak to how effective it always is, but I can speak to the fact that it does uh, attempt to try and, and it's the app is pretty intuitive. So AirGuard on Android for right now is a good gap until they actually roll out that safety feature, which I hope this month happens um, or at least by yeah. next month. 
And so uh, I, I want to say it, they probably already did roll it out, but I have to double check to make sure. But um, if it's not air guard is a good yeah. stopgap for that. But that those are the two things uh, on a, like a system level. Thankfully it's coming to both big, big ecosystems. And I hope that this conversation going forward helps people overall um, with like Bluetooth trackers and, you know, like endpoint authentication and stuff like that to kind of make the Find My network a little bit more stable in terms of, you know, not all trackers will be well-behaved. There will be trackers that probably people try to create to work within this network that are malicious in nature and don't adhere to this specification because the specification is just something for people who want to engage and be a well-behaved tracker in the industry like Tile and um, you know others like AirTag and Google. So because Google also has a Find My network of peripheral devices, like I'm wearing Pixel Buds right now, that's a peripheral device, right? So it's on the Find My network for Android. And it's a little confusing that both <laughs> OS have different, uh, it's not the same Find My with each one. They, only, they have their own implementation, just to clarify. So those are the things that I'm telling people right now around that. And, you know, and also just continue having discussions with people in your life that you want to keep safe before you install a technology to do that for you. That is a big thing. Well, this is awesome. It was so great talking to you and so great to have you. I'm glad I I'm glad I did this. I'm glad we had this conversation and great speaking with you again. Thank you so much for listening. And that's a wrap on season two of Her Hacks Podcast. We have some exciting news coming for season three. So check out Her Hacks Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, Mastodon, YouTube, and TikTok to be the first to know about all of our upcoming surprises. And in the meantime, catch up on our old episodes everywhere you get your podcasts. I lost a water bottle recently, so I don't know if Apple's listening, but I want them to create like a water bottle band or like cup holder or something that I can put up my water bottle because I had a really nice swell metal water bottle and I, I'm pretty sure I left it at hot yoga or something. <laughs>